We're so excited to have our missions conference today and have as our guest speaker, Reverend Hubert Harriman. Hubert is a friend of mine, someone that I've looked up to over the years. I've had the privilege of working with him on various boards and committees, and he's someone that I deeply respect and admire, and uh, it's so wonderful to have him here to share with us today. He loves the Lord, he loves the church, and he loves the global mission of God, and I'm so excited that he's going to be sharing with us today. So as we prepare our hearts to hear the word that he will bring to us today, I want to read today's scripture for us. Listen to the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's a privilege to be with you here today and to look into God's word together, especially on this year, Missions Emphasis. Making connections, of course, is quite different for us these days uh, than a few weeks ago. And though there are some individuals like my wife who are enjoying the quarantine, most of us are just dying to get out. And there are a lot of people like us. Making connections has always been what God has desired. He gave his son for that. And when he died on that cross, he said, I will draw men to me. Uh, they're going to connect with me. I will connect with them. And he makes it happen. He looks for a way to make it happen. Even in this pandemic, with a world in quarantine, the gospel, as it did in the Roman days with the Roman highway and their colonizing, Christians followed them and God made those connections. Even today, the gospel is traveling the internet highway these days, getting into places as never before. God is in control, and he knows how to orchestrate connections. It's the marvelous thing about God. This was on the heart and mind of Luke, and he wrote about it in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts, which was read earlier. Luke was captivated by two things as he wrote, two major events. One was the incarnation, the incarnation of the Son of God, and the other was the inspiration, that is, the breathing into of the Holy Spirit. And you find that especially in the book of Acts. So you have these two volumes, as it were, where as Luke writes and he deals with the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Luke, as the Holy Spirit worked in the life of Jesus, and you can see the breathing into of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' life. Luke then takes that as he comes to the end of the book of Luke and knows the promise that Jesus has given and told them to wait in Jerusalem until they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And with that promise, they would be witnesses for him around the world. And so he saw this incarnation of Jesus Christ and the 
inspiration of the Holy Spirit as being vital to getting the gospel out around the world. Now what Luke saw was not that these were two finished events, for they weren't, but that they were ongoing divine expressions to be lived out in the lives of believers. We're the ones who now play this out today. And it's necessary, absolutely necessary, to making connections that would make a difference in the world. And not only make a difference in the world, but it makes a world of difference in our lives. There was a study that was presented when I was with World Gospel Mission that revealed that words, if we just are talking, words alone communicate uh, 7% of the time. Vocal tone, they said, accounts for 38% of communication. And all of a sudden, it just raises the level of communication. If I'm just talking and, and it's monotone, boring, uh, I'm not going to get very far with what I'm saying to you. But if I begin to put emphasis into it, if I show emotion, if I show feeling in what I'm talking about, then it raises that level to where now there's more understanding. You are getting more of what I'm saying. You feel it. But the interesting thing is, is that they found that body language accounts for 55% of communication. So as I begin to move around, as I express things with my hands, uh, I'm involved in what I'm saying, then all of a sudden the level of communication goes up and we begin to connect with each other. You could ask my wife if that's true and she will tell you it's true. I can tell her things, but unless there's word and deed, the communication isn't that rich. God has given us his written word. It's powerful. He's also given us his spoken word, and that is as powerful as his written word. But who can deny the power of his body language? The incarnation. He became flesh, and he dwelt among us. Isn't that a beautiful thing? The church is an ongoing expression of that. We become now that incarnation. And there must be the incarnation in our witness, or our witness is dead. Luke sees this as he writes about the early church's practice of caring and sharing with the needy. And you see that in the book of Acts as they began to share with one another, care for one another. They cared for the widows. That's where Stephen and some others came in, were involved in in helping widows in need. They took care of the sick, these kinds of things. So you see, even as Luke recognizes what Jesus did, was doing through the incarnation in the book of Luke, he also realizes, that, realizes and knows that this is being played out now through the church in the book of Acts. And he wanted to write about it. What does this look like with people other than the Christ? One of the main characters that Luke writes about in the book of Acts is the Apostle Paul. What an amazing man with an amazing testimony 
and he was called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. A connection took place between these two men that formed into a strong bond of friendship and partnership. It's a great thing to see this kind of thing begin to happen in missions when we begin to connect with the individuals that are involved in ministry and that others would connect with us as we become involved in ministry. And this is why I encourage going to mission fields if you can. This is why I believe in getting to know missionaries. It's vital. This is why I urge taking someone's hand in ministry involvement. There are times when we may not know what to do. We've never done what somebody else is doing. And we need for them to take our hand and lead us in this experience in getting involved in ministry. Perhaps we're the ones that God has led into a kind of ministry. We need to take someone else's hand and get them involved with us in that ministry and thus begin to get involved with each other in what God is doing in and through our lives. It's interesting that beginning in Acts chapter 16, verse 10, this was right after Paul's vision of the man from Macedonia who said, come and help us. It's at this point where Luke begins to write with the personal pronoun, we. All of a sudden, he's in the story. He's a part of it. He's not just now writing about people because that's what he did with the first part of Acts. He's now in it and he gets involved with what Paul is doing. Luke was there when Paul and Silas were thrown into jail. And Paul so appreciated this beloved physician in his jail experiences. He loved having him around. He, he was a precious soul to him. Someone that was helping him in his need. Luke was there in uh, many of his missionary ventures. And then he was there when Paul was in Jerusalem. And you remember he was arrested and then taken to Caesarea. And Luke was there. Paul was in prison again. And Luke cared for him during that time. He was there for two years. And then he was there when Paul was going to be sent to Rome. And so they got on the ship together, Paul in chains. But Luke was by his side. He was there when there was the horrible, horrible shipwreck. He was there on the way to Rome. He was there with Paul, swimming in the Mediterranean Sea. He was there with Paul on the island of Malta. And all the way to Rome, Luke was there. Luke was a companion, a help in a time of need. Missionaries long for this kind of connection. They, they look for it with church people. It's, it's life to them. They pray for it. That God might give them individuals that really connect with them. Different than just being in a church and they kind of get to know people. But there's someone in that church or different ones that begin to take notice and get involved with them and begin to connect with that missionary. I'll tell you, 
there's life in that, and it gives life to the missionary as well as the individual getting involved. They need to feel the heart of God incarnate in us. It'll bring fire to a missions outreach. Now let me say something about inspiration. Luke doesn't write randomly. Now not much is known about Theophilus. But Luke writes to him under divine inspiration. Divine breath. The Holy Spirit whom Luke was writing about was in him. He knew him. He knew the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit knew him. They had connected. So the first question that needs to be asked in connections is, do we know the Holy Spirit? Too many connections made by the church, by church people, are nothing but human effort. And if we lose the divine in this, we lose. This hit me hard when I was a young pastor in northern Indiana. I did my best in preaching. I did my best to connect with the people. Uh, it became kind of a chore to me in trying to get around to everybody. A goal had been set by our superintendent that we should call on so many people a month and so that became sort of something that I worked at to see how many people I could connect with. There was nothing wrong with that, but I was driven by something other than just deep care. I wanted to fulfill something. He came to hear me preach one time, my superintendent did. I was young, I was about 26 years of age, and uh, when I knew he was coming and I knew why he was coming, it made me an, a nervous wreck. Uh, I prepared harder than I'd ever prepared. I wanted him to hear a good message. I wanted him to know that I knew how to preach. And I preached that message and thought I'd done pretty good. A few days later, we were taking a trip together. He was driving. And we chatted about this and that. And all of a sudden, he looked over at me, just glanced at me, and he said, Hubert, I heard you preach. And I thought he might say something positive, and I was getting ready to pat myself on the back for a job well done when, when he said something that just absolutely stunned me. He glanced over at me again. He said, Hubert, you don't have any unction, do you? That went through me like a knife. I didn't know what to say. I was angry. I knew what he meant. I knew what unction meant. And what he was telling me was, you don't know the Holy Spirit. You don't connect with him. You have nothing in you that reveals that the Spirit of God is the one who helps you. You're doing this all on your own. I was so angry I didn't say anything. I didn't dare say anything because who knows what might have come out of my mouth. 
When I got home, I went up to my wife and I told her what he had done, what he had said, thinking that she would support me. You know, that's, that's what we do with each other as, as married couples is support one another. And she just sort of looked at me and didn't say much. And I kind of hung my head in shame and walked out and went to the church. I got up on the platform and I lifted my eyes to the ceiling and I asked the question, Father, is what he said true? As soon as I had asked that question, I knew the answer. I knew it was true. I got down from the platform. I went down to the front pew. And I knelt there. And I prayed like I had never prayed in my life. I knew what I needed. And I knew that I needed to seek him in such a way that it wasn't to use him but rather that I might know him and that he might know me and that he might connect with me and that I might connect with him and that he would do in my heart what I knew needed to be done. I prayed for quite some time there, searching my own heart, praying that God's Spirit would search my heart that if there be anything in my heart that needed to be dealt with, that he would help me to deal with it. And came to a place finally where I was able to trust him. And trust him with all my heart. And he's someone I have trusted down through the years. And I have been so grateful that he has trusted me. He witnessed to my heart with a hymn that said, The cleansing stream I see, I see, I plunge, and oh, it cleanseth me. Praise God, it cleanseth me. That changed me. It changed the way I did ministry. It changed the way I looked at people. It changed the way I worked with people. It changed the connections that we made. It made a huge difference in me. It made a huge difference in the church. We don't have time to be able to tell about where God took all of that. But I knew that what had been done was not of my own doing. It was His. It was the Lord. It was the Spirit of God. Our great need is for divine inspiration. That the Holy Spirit breathe on me, fill me with divine power. Kindle a flame of love and zeal within this heart of mine. Cleanse thou my heart, fill every part. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. There's nothing more wonderful than Holy Spirit orchestrated connections. Luke saw it. The Holy Spirit is all through the book of Acts. Where is he with us? Where is the Holy Spirit with us? Are we carrying on without him? 
Are we so good at what we do that we're, we're able to do this ourselves? It was the Holy Spirit who took Peter to Cornelius. It was the Holy Spirit who used Stephen to convict a man by the name of Saul. It was the Holy Spirit who led Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. It was the Holy Spirit that separated and sent Paul and Barnabas on their missionary journey. It was the Holy Spirit who sent Paul to Macedonia, which took the gospel into Europe, which means that I'm a Christian today because the Holy Spirit, way back there, did something in the heart of a man, spoke to him, and he knew who it was. They connected, and we have the gospel today because of that. So do you know, do we know the Holy Spirit? The second question that needs to be asked in our connections is, do we know our Theophilus? The passage that was read reveals that Luke was writing to a particular man by the name of Theophilus. Who has the Holy Spirit put in your life? What's his or her name? They've got a name. What is God doing through you to touch that life, to connect with that life? There's a Theophilus in your life somewhere. Watch for divine opportunities. Not just generally, but someone Someone that God's going to put you in touch with. We don't need to slop the gospel out like swill. We need to come and know that the Holy Spirit has put something in my heart at a particular time for a particular person and that it's time for me to speak. And until I know that, quiet. Wait. I must know when it's His time, His connection. But he has the people that he begins to connect me with. When Luke, when Luke wrote to Theophilus, little did he know how far that writing would go. It would touch my life. I love the book of Luke. If I'd have had a son, I have three daughters. But if I'd have had a son, I would have named him Luke. I love Luke. He had no idea how far this would go. He was writing to Theophilus. He had connected with Theophilus. Two volumes to do it. He, he made a big connection in his life to get the gospel to him. Little do we know when we connect with someone what God will do with that connection. Even as Luke touched so many, many people down through the centuries and around the world. We have no idea what God will do with the connection that he may bring into our lives. But before that, before that, who in the world connected with Luke? 
Someone connected with him. Someone touched him. It's believed by many scholars that Luke was a former slave. It was the church that opened their doors to slaves. These slaves began to eat, sit with their masters. This was unheard of, absolutely unheard of. Somehow, either through the church or someone in the church or maybe the Apostle Paul, they connected with Luke. Little did they know what this would do. We never know what God will do when we pray for God-directed and God-inspired connections. I want to close with a story. I'm going to read a lot of it because I want you to get it well. I don't want to lose my way in it. And I want you to listen carefully because it speaks of the importance of connection and how God uses it and how he might use any one of us as we connect with someone. It's written by Aggie Hurst. The title is Unforeseen Fruit. Back in 1921, a missionary couple named David and Zvia Flood with a two-year-old son went from Sweden to what was then called Belgian Congo. They felt led with another Scandinavian couple, the Ericsons, to take the gospel to a very, very remote area. So they left the central station and went up the mountains to a village called Indalera. The chief wouldn't let them enter their town lest they alienate the gods. So they went a half mile up the slope and built their own mud huts. The only contact with the villagers was a young boy who was allowed to sell them chickens and eggs twice a week. Zvia Flood, a tiny woman, only four feet eight inches tall, thought if this was the only one in the village that she could talk to, she would try to lead the boy to Jesus. And she did. But there were no other encouragements. In time, the Ericsons, suffering with malaria, returned to the central station. David and Zvia Flood remained near Indolera to go on alone. Then of all things, Zvia found herself pregnant. A little girl was born, whom they named Ina. Zvia Flood, already weak from bouts of malaria, died 17 days later. David her husband buried his 27-year-old wife in a crude grave, then took his children back down the mountain to the station. He gave his newborn, newborn daughter to the Ericsons, saying, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife, and I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. With that, he headed for the port, rejecting not only his calling, but rejecting God himself. Within eight months, both the Ericsons were stricken with a mysterious malady and died within days of each other. 
The baby was then turned over to some American missionaries who loved her deeply. They adopted her and adjusted her Swedish name to Aggie. They returned to the States when Aggie was three years old and pastored a church. As a young woman, Aggie attended North Central Bible College in Minneapolis, where she met and married a young man named Dewey Hearst. Years pass. The Hearst enjoyed a fruitful ministry. Aggie gave birth first to a daughter, then a son. In time, her husband became president of a Christian college in the Seattle area, and Aggie was intrigued to find so much Scandinavian heritage there. One day, a Swedish religious magazine appeared in her mailbox. She had no idea who had sent it, and she couldn't read it, of course. But as she turned the pages, suddenly a photo stopped her cold. There in a primitive setting was a grave with a white cross. And on the cross were the words, Zvia Flood. Aggie jumped in her car and went straight for a college faculty member who she knew could translate the article. The instructor summarized the story. It was about missionaries who had come to Indolera long ago, the birth of a baby, the death of the mother, the one little African boy who had been led to Christ, and how the boy had grown up and finally persuaded the chief to let him build a school in the village. The article said that gradually he won all his students to Christ. The children led their parents to Christ. Even the chief had become a Christian. And today there were 600 Christian believers in that one village, all because of the sacrifice of David and Zvia Flood. On their 25th anniversary, Aggie and her husband went to Sweden where she found her real father. He had remarried and fathered four more children, but had generally dissipated his life with alcohol. He also suffered a stroke. An old man now and still bitter, he had one rule in his family, never mention the name of God because God took away everything from me. Aggie, undeterred, told him the story of what God had done and led him back to the God he had rejected for so many years, and soon after, he passed away. A few years later, the Hearst were attending a high-level evangelism conference in London, England, when a report was given from the nation of Zaire, the former Belgian Congo, the superintendent of the National Church, representing some 110,000 baptized believers, spoke eloquently of the gospel spread in his nation. Aggie could not help going to ask him afterward if he had ever heard of David and Zvia Flood. Yes, madame, the man replied in French, his words then being translated into English. It was Zvia Flood who led me to Jesus Christ. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored by all of us. He embraced her in a long, sobbing hug. Then he continued, you must come to Africa to see, because your mother is the most famous person in our history. She and her husband did just that. They were welcomed by cheering throngs of villagers. She even met the man who had been hired by her father to carry her back down the mountain in a hammock cradle. The most dramatic moment, of course, was when the pastor escorted Aggie to see her mother's white cross for herself, and she was able to kneel down and pray and give thanks. We never know. We never know what God will do. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. And I pray that this truth might go to our hearts, that we might connect with your spirit. 
and that we might connect with our Theophilus. Lord, guide us, I pray, in our lives to touch lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.